Okay, so today the speaker is uh, Warda Khan, and she's the director of uh, product at MasterCard, and she works on uh, payment authentication, and in fact, uh, today's presentation will be on uh, fraud detection using machine learning when uh, you try to do a payment using uh, online payments. And a quick note, so remember to upload your for the students, remember to upload the, the summary of the talks on, on Brightspace. And to ask questions, use the Q&A option uh, so that we can have all the questions uh, in the same place. Okay, so uh, thank you to the speaker and I guess we can start. Thank you, Antonio, for the introduction. And hi, everyone. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for, for being here today. I'm very excited to talk about um, a topic that is really near and dear to my heart. So excited to be here. And I hope you're all doing well, given the current events and with the pandemic. It's um, definitely not an easy time to be around, but I hope you're all taking care of your mental well-being and physical well-being. That's, that's something to uh, be mindful of. So today's topic, um, as Antonio said, I work at MasterCard, particularly in the cyber and intelligence solutions department. Uh, and my team focuses on identity solutions. Identity solutions essentially is verification of your identity, right? You are who you are saying you are. And there are a lot of different initiatives MasterCard is taking to make sure that uh, the identity of the cardholder um, for payments for sure, but even beyond payments, is safe and secure. Um, we are focusing all our energy and efforts towards getting to a point where there would be no more identity thefts. There would be no more fraud taking place um, because the identity was mismanaged or misused. So my particular product that I work on, it's um, called smart authentication. And when you hear the term authentication in payments landscape, uh, particularly, it, as I said, means you are who you are. So it doesn't matter whether you have enough money in your account to make that purchase. What authentication is looking at is, if I say my name is Wertha, am I really Wertha? Have I stolen someone's identity? Or did I create an identity and call it Wertha and that's the persona I'm using to make my purchases? So that's what the identity solutions revolve around to, to make sure we are able to pinpoint the person who they're saying they are, right? So that's um, authentication. And the reason I say behind the scenes is, all of us today, we make a lot of digital payments. We make a lot of transactions um, online. And particularly in COVID, I think this, this period has been so eye-opening because for a period of time, you couldn't go out and make a purchase in store. You had to buy everything online. And that's when a lot of people who never made a transaction before, they went online. Uh, a lot of the population, 60, 65 plus, who were more comfortable with making in-person transactions were forced to migrate to digital platforms. Um, and that's when we saw a lot of interesting data coming in as well. Um, with all of that happening, I think it's very important to understand what's happening when you click that checkout button. And I'll walk you through uh, behind the scenes of when you click that checkout button, what happens and what we as MasterCard are trying to do to ensure that your identity is safe, to make sure that that transaction uh, is safe for your bank. To approve. So with that, I wanted to start with an example. Um, I know we're all super smart people here, but I always like to go back to putting things in perspective to make sure, you know, we understand why we are doing and what we are doing and why it matters. So think of your Amazon purchase. I'm sure majority of you have made an, a purchase recently on Amazon. Putting it in perspective, what it looks like. So you go onto the Amazon app or their browser page, you sign in, and then let's say you're buying a pair of shoes, a book, um, and sunglasses. So you put that into your cart. I want you to go through this experience with me here. You are on your journey to checkout, but now you have to provide your shipping uh, preference or shipping information. You enter that in there, then you go onto the payments page. That's where you enter your card credentials. You enter that, then you click continue. Then you move on to place your order. You verify, you read everything through. That's exactly what you wanted. You click on place your order. And then the order is complete. 
These are five distinct steps in that Amazon purchase journey. And from the lens of Amazon, and I'm using Amazon as an example, but think of all the large digital merchants out there, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Uber, you name it. These steps matter to them a lot because along the way, if you are unhappy or if you experience friction in any one of those steps, you're likely to just abandon the cart and not complete that transaction, right? So they try to minimize the friction you're, you're seeing in this experience as much as possible. And how do they do that? See the shipping. If you have your account made on Amazon, most likely your shipping preferences are saved. You don't have to go and enter your address every single time. You'll only change that preference if you're shipping to someone else. So naturally, 99% of the times, you don't have that friction of having to enter your address every single time. Payment. You don't have to go get your card from your wallet or your handbag and enter it every single time you're making a purchase. They have saved that preference as well. So essentially, now that you're making a journey, you already have an account, maybe the whole experience would take you two and a half minutes, right? And out of those, out of those two and a half minutes, two minutes and 25 seconds were probably spent you browsing through your options to see what you're gonna buy. And the remaining five seconds, I would say maybe four and a half seconds were spent on your checkout, shipping, and order complete screen. And what I'm trying to get here is that the screen where you say place order and then order complete, that's happening in milliseconds. Everything else, so the two and a half minute experience that you had, you are only spending milliseconds between the last two screens when you click that button and your payment is processed. Your bank looks at it, approves it, sends back the message to Amazon saying, yep, this is good to go, purchase complete. That's milliseconds. And what we'll go through today is actually what happens in those milliseconds between when you place the order and you get the message that your checkout is complete. So let's see. With that experience in mind, again, putting on your Amazon or your digital merchants lens, what are the key concerns that the merchant would have in this scenario? Number one is abandonment. We talked about that a little bit. A um, couple of days ago, actually, I was making a purchase on Amazon and my payments preference has been saved there for years at this point. And I don't know why, but all of a sudden it asked me to enter the digits at the back of my card again for verification. Now that's an example of authentication. Amazon was trying to authenticate that. Is it me really making that transaction? I have no clue how they got the idea that it couldn't be me, but they asked me that. And me being me, I was too lazy. So I was like, oh, who cares? I'll buy it later. A day later, I went outside, stop and shop, got the item, never went back to Amazon to get that item from there. That's the very experience they're trying to make sure they eliminate from the system because that is a transaction lost. And there are millions of people out there like me who are very lazy, who if you present any level of friction to them would not go through that journey of completing their transaction. So as you see here, currently in digital space, 20 to 25% of online purchases are abandoned before they're completed. And that's a huge number. That's a lost opportunity for any merchant. So they care about that number. They care about that metric. The other thing is, if you complete that journey, what if your bank doesn't approve it? So when you see the term issue or decline, what if your bank declines that transaction? It could be various reasons. Maybe you don't have enough money in your account. Maybe your bank thought it was a fraud transaction. Maybe there was a technical glitch. So that's, of course, if your transaction doesn't get approved, Amazon doesn't care about that transaction. Merchant wants that transaction to be approved so that purchase would really be complete at that time. So they care about that decline. Now, I would like to spend a couple of minutes here. You see digital and physical. What is that? So when you make a transaction, you either go in the store and you make that transaction or you go online and make that transaction. So the in-person transaction is what we called what we call card present transaction. And the digital transaction that you make online is what we call card not present transaction. So see here in physical world, the approval rate of transactions is 97%. That's close to perfect. Whereas when you flip to digital world, the banks are approving only 86% of transactions. 86 might still sound like a higher number, but it's very, very low when you think about it from a merchant's perspective and even your bank's perspective, because that's how those entities are making money. And the more transactions that decline, the more they're losing their revenue. 
and not just losing their revenue, they're having a bad customer experience. If my legitimate transaction has declined, I'm not going to be happy with either the merchant or my bank. Maybe I'll try a different card at a different merchant. So it's a lost opportunity. And you would think, okay, if everyone benefits from approvals, why would issuers decline more transactions um, in the digital world? And that's the next metric right there, fraud. Fraud is four times higher in card not present space than in card present space. So those are riskier transactions, naturally. And now you'll wonder why is that? Why is online uh, ecosystem more risky than in-person? When you go into a store and you make a transaction, the terminal that you see, every single terminal out there is certified by MasterCard, by the EMV, um, it's an industry standards board, by, by EMV Co, it's certified. So that is a safe place where you can enter your four-digit password, a four-digit PIN, which it's very unlikely anyone other than you would have access to. So they can verify your identity right there. Worst case scenario, they'll say, hey, Varga, show me your driver's license. I want to make sure it matches with your card. There are ways to verify you in card presence space. In card not present space, how many laptops are you going to certify to say, okay, well, this is a safe device to make a transaction on? How many cell phones, how many watches out there that you can make transactions on? With This is IoT with increasing array of devices that we see today. We cannot certify every single one of them and say, hey, this is a safe device. You can enter your four-digit password or four-digit PIN, right? So that's why online space is a lot more complicated um, and a lot more interesting for the very same reason. We have a lot of challenges there that we are trying to solve for. And as I said, with COVID specifically now, and even outside of that, card not present space is growing. We have to ensure security on card not present transactions. We have to make sure that cardholders are confident when they're making a purchase online that their identity is not at risk. And when your bank is approving a transaction, we want them to be confident that they're not going to face um, the fraud losses on that transaction. Because at the end of the day, it's either your bank who's going to eat those fraud losses or the merchant. And we want both parties to be at ease when dealing with digital payments transactions, right? So that's why these three metrics are very, very important for us um, as a network, as MasterCard. And our vision is very simple. We want to make things simple. We don't want cardholder to know anything that's happening behind the scenes. We want them to just know it's milliseconds between the last two screens that you saw when you click the complete order and your order is completed screen. We want them to just be concerned about those milliseconds. We want to take care of everything behind the back, behind the scenes there. and while we're making it simple, we don't want to make it risky for any party in this ecosystem. So two things, safety and simplicity. That's our vision that we're driving towards um, as an industry and particularly MasterCard as well. So these very important metrics that we are driving towards. So how do we close that gap? And that's a very important question. We all understand the problem. We know where we want to get to. But how do we get to from where we are to where we want to be? How do we get our approval rates from 80 7% to 97%. And how do we lower the fraud to four times more than card present situations to at least maybe two times, if not equal or less, uh, but how do we bring that down is, is the key question. And that is where the concept of authentication comes in. So in payments ecosystem, the merchant can send a message to the issuer through the network. So MasterCard sits in the middle, send a message, that message is called authorization message. So that authorization message is essentially merchant asking your bank, hey bank, this person is making a transaction, approve it or decline it. And the bank would look at multiple things. Does this person have enough money in their bank account to make this transaction? Um, do we even allow, let's say a cross-border transaction? And if we don't, then is this person making a cross-border transaction? Multiple things they're looking at, including fraud. And if they approve the transaction, that's it. Money will move, the purchase has been completed, there's no going back. That's authorization. What authentication does is it's a layer that happens before authorization. Again, keep in mind those milliseconds we're talking about where merchants can send an authentication message to the issuer saying, issuer, I want you to authenticate this transaction before I send it through authorization. And in that authentication message, I want you to verify the identity of this individual uh, so that I can be sure that this is the right person making the purchase. It works for the bank or the issuer because they will now be more confident at the authorization stage to approve that transaction because then they know they authenticated it 
you know, less than half a second before. And how do we get to that authentication? What, what happens in that authentication message? We achieve that by two things. One is the EMV 3D secure specification. Uh, it is essentially a spec written by industry. So MasterCard, Visa, Amex, all the parties, they come together as an industry body. And they wrote that spec, which allows the merchant to, to send that message to the issuer. And then we have MasterCard identity check program. Uh, again, as the name suggests, identity check. Um, we built that program on top of the spec called EMB3DS. How the two work together, think of the EMB3DS spec as a bunch of tools that all the networks are supposed to use. They can use those tools and they can add more frills and bows to it and make it more secure, more simple, more user-friendly. Uh, at the very least, they have to use those tools, they can add to it. And that's what MasterCard Identity Check Program is. It's using the tools provided by the spec called EMB3DS, but it's also adding a lot more into the network to, to ensure the simplicity uh, of the transaction, to ensure the safety of the transaction. So those two things work hand in hand. And then as you see on the screen, it's not just words that we are using. We have seen the result of when authentication is used. How does that affect the ecosystem? For fully authenticated transactions, we see that issuers who use it have around 14% higher approval rates than those who don't. Because of course, if, if you are an issuer and you authenticated that less than half a second ago, you're more likely to approve that in authorization as well because you just have more confidence at that time. Similarly for fraud, if you use authentication, the fraud goes down by 12 basis points, which in the fraud world, if you guys are aware, is a huge deal. 12 basis points is a lot of fraud. So going down by that level really helps the ecosystem as well. So what is EMV3DS? We talked about that, it's a spec. So EMV3DS, it stands for three domain secure. And it's a message protocol that, as I said, allows merchants to communicate with issuers in the interoperable domain. So MasterCard is in the middle, no matter if the merchant is accepting a Capital One card, a City card, Barclays card, we are able to get those transactions and then route them to the appropriate issuing bank who can then take care of the transaction in authentication. So the, the flow here is essentially um, at its very essence what happens when the merchant sends the authentication message. And now this is the fun stuff. So you see a very complicated flow chart that I would like to walk you through again, again, reminding you at the risk of sounding annoying, but keep in mind the milliseconds we are talking about, all of this is happening in, in that span of a few milliseconds. This is authentication. We won't go into much detail, but think about, this is the merchant right here. We call them our 3DS client. They send an authentication request through an entity who we call 3DS server to the network, which in this case is MasterCard. MasterCard sees, okay, where would we route this transaction to which bank? So let's say it's Citibank. So we route the authentication request from the merchant to the issuing bank, which is Citibank. And then this entity right here, it's called access control server. So that's an ACS. It's a third party that issuers often outsource their authentication services to. So this transaction is then going to the ACS. ACS will authenticate the transaction, either say, yep, fully authenticate, good to go, verify the identity, or say, nope, not good, I failed the authentication. And then the response of that attempt would be sent back through MasterCard to the 3DS server, back to the merchant. And at that point, Merchant would then go ahead, submit an authorization request, which is this arrow right here, number five, step number five. And in that authorization request, when the issuer receives it, they will make a decision of whether they approve the transaction or decline the transaction. Very complicated flows, but the key takeaway here is you see a lot of data being exchanged. Every party that is in the system, they're sending a lot of data and that data could potentially, in our authentication world, could really help improve the cardholder experience. And what do I mean by that? 
when the issuer receives the authentication request, you know, is it really Vartha who's making this purchase or is it someone else? Issuer can do two things. They can either send me a one-time password, you know, on my text message or send me an email and say, hey, verify that's you making the transaction. Or they can ask me to call the bank and confirm that it's actually me making the transaction. That's what we call challenging the cardholder. Or they could use all of this data that you are seeing here to make an informed decision and take a calculated risk of authenticating the identity of that individual without having to bother the individual. So they don't have to send me a one-time password. They don't have to ask me to enter the digits behind my card and risk me abandoning that card. What they can do is they can simply see based on my profile, based on my data, look at how much data is being exchanged here and make that calculated risk decision of whether they are willing to fully authenticate my identity without having to bother me. And that's the power of data. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Um, so, and as I said, MasterCard is in the middle of it, right? So you see a lot of data being exchanged. MasterCard is in the middle in authentication and it's in the middle in the authorization message. So we are getting all of that uh, data into our network. So I lied, there is way much more, way more detail coming up right here as well. If the issuer decides to challenge you as a cardholder, they say, you know what, I'm going to ask Wertha to enter the one-time password I texted her. That is when another flow comes into play and that's the challenge flow. That's what we call the challenge flow. Now the issuer is sending something to the cardholder and then based on the results of that, it will communicate the results to MasterCard, to the merchant. Again, way more data flowing into the ecosystem at this point when the issuer decides to challenge the cardholder. Not to forget if they challenge the cardholder, it's going to add latency to that transaction, right? If I have to look at my one-time password and then enter into my you know, device, it's gonna take me a good one or two minutes. So forget about that milliseconds thing I talked about. If an issuer decides to challenge, easily those milliseconds turn into minutes, and that's not what any merchant or even issuer wants. Um, so that's, that's why we try to eliminate that friction from the ecosystem, so that instead of challenging the cardholder, we enable the issuers, we enable the merchants to make as many frictionless decisions as possible based on the risk of that transaction, using the data that we already have in place. So very quickly, I won't go into detail for this slide, but EMB 3DS, as I said, that's an industry spec. Visa uses it, MasterCard uses it, Amex uses it. It's, it's an industry-wide spec available to, to all networks. And as I said, identity check is what we add to that spec. And essentially, when we talk about you know, building machine learning onto our network to assess the risk of a transaction in real time, that's something, something that MasterCard is doing. It's not something that the EMB 3DS protocol requires us to do, right? So that's the additional value adds we as MasterCard are adding into the ecosystem, building off of the spec, but adding to it to make it more simple, make it more secure. We have biometrics, we have active biometrics, passive biometrics, which is another topic to talk about another day maybe. Um, but we try to further make that experience more smooth by using our own MasterCard built um, tools on our network. So risk-based authentication, I talked about that a little bit. What is that? Risk-based authentication can be compared to rules-based authentication. So as an issuer, as an issuing bank, if I'm Citibank, I can set a rule saying, any cardholder that makes a purchase over $100, always send a one-time password. Any transaction uh, made by my US-based cardholder outside of the US, always send a one-time password. Right, so I can set, set those you know, man-made rules onto the system and then create that experience for the cardholder. Risk-based authentication is quite opposite of that. What it does is, as I said, based on the risk of that particular transaction in real time, based on the profile of the cardholder, making a decision whether you want to fully authenticate the transaction or you want to fail the authentication. What do I mean by that? I'm Vertha, I make a transaction. Um, I don't usually buy $4,000 Gucci bag from you know, Gucci, and that's an abnormal behavior. But there may be another person, and that person is used to making such purchases maybe every time, every, every week. They, make, they buy a bag from Louis Vuitton, they go to Gucci, they, they have those 
luxury items in their profile. If Citibank had that rule, which says, challenge the cardholder every time a transaction is over 100 or even $1,000, both of us are going to get challenged. Both of us are going to have that bad user experience of being asked to enter our one-time password. At least one of us is going to drop that transaction. What risk-based authentication does here is it's going to look at our own individual profiles based on the data that, is exist that, that exists not just on our network, but even with the issuers, they have their own data they can use. They will make that decision based on our profiles. So my profile doesn't show that I make those expensive purchases. Maybe it's worth sending me a one-time password, but this other person who has a profile that indicates this is in-pattern behavior for that transaction, it makes no sense to challenge that cardholder and create friction for their experience. So risk-based authentication allows every single transaction to be assessed and judged on on its own merit based on the person who's making that purchase, their history, you know, their pattern. And it might be same for two people, it might be different, but that's the calculated risk we are taking to uh, remove friction from the ecosystem. And we know majority of the times the fraud can be really reduced using this risk-based method because any model that is at the back of making those decisions is learning, is learning from the fraud reported on that card, is learning from the merchant behavior. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but that's what risk-based authentication is. Um, so just so you understand how that differs from rules-based authentication. Uh, essentially, what I told you is on the slide, um, a transaction comes into our network and our network in real time is able to make a judgment on that transaction uh, on what is the risk of that transaction, right? So a transaction could either be low risk, medium risk, and high risk. Those are three outcomes. And what we tell the issuing banks to do is to, based, based on the risk of that transaction, decide if you want to challenge that transaction or if you want to frictionlessly authenticate that. As hard as it might be to believe in today's world, there are majority, majority of the people out there are good people. So we expect over 90% of transactions in the ecosystem to always be very, very low risk. And that's, that's the, the samples that we want to capture to make sure they don't face any friction in their process because those are good transactions. And those are the transactions we expect issuers to frictionlessly authenticate. Then another, and it's actually on the next slide as well, if we wanna get into more details, five to 8% transactions are medium risk. Now that's the, the set or that's the population that we want the issuers to challenge. We're not saying they're bad transactions. We're saying we're not sure. They're somewhere in the middle. We're getting mixed messages. So at that point in time, the issuer can maybe send you a one-time password, send you an email, ask you to call, whatever it is. And then one to 2%, very, very negligible you know, population has an extremely high risk of uh, turning into a fraud transaction. Those are the transactions we want the issuers to fail. Don't even challenge, don't waste your time. You, the issuing banks have to pay every time they send you a text message. We don't want them to waste their money sending that text message over. They can simply use those signals to just fail that authentication and end of story. So that's essentially uh, the breakdown of how the transactions could turn out to be low risk, medium risk, or high risk. Don't worry too much about the left side of the slide. That's what we used to have in our previous protocol. So there was 3DS1, uh, which is now retiring and we're moving to 3DS2, which is also called EMB 3DS on the right-hand side. This slide really shows how much data we are able to capture, right? You have 10 times more data than what you did with the previous protocol. And this is all very, very, very valuable data. I'll give you a second to just take a look at how many different aspects we're able to capture if we receive the authentication message request. I wouldn't go into what are the benefits of risk-based authentication. I think we talked about it pretty much, you know, more than half this presentation. It decreases fraud, it increases revenue, it's a good cardholder experience. Uh, you, are, you are more likely to be loyal to the brand that doesn't give you, um, you know, more friction. Think of Amazon. Why do I shop more at Amazon? than going to a hundred different other websites because I don't have to enter my payment credentials every time I go there. Amazon has my loyalty because most of the times my experience is frictionless. So it does drive loyalty if you know that you don't have to every single time prove who you are, enter your card details and um, take like five minutes to create to, to complete that transaction. 
So what is MasterCard doing in its space? I know I did touch on MasterCard and our solutions a little bit, but going into a little bit more detail, I hope you remember this very exciting flowchart right here. Um, but when a transaction and authentication hits our MasterCard directory server right here, we have a machine learning based engine sitting right here called MasterCard Smart Authentication. MasterCard Smart Authentication is actually the brand name of our model, which is essentially an RBA model, risk-based authentication model. And it is in real time, every single transaction it's receiving, creating a risk assessment on that. Using that assessment, using those insights, we are able to communicate that intelligence to the issuer in authentication, to the issuer in authorization, back to the merchant if they request to receive that intelligence because merchants have their own risk models, Microsoft and Amazon, they have amazing risk models they have at their end that are also looking at the risk of every transaction they're sending through the ecosystem. So we can, we as MasterCard are able to share and we are sharing our intelligence across the ecosystem, telling everyone in the ecosystem what we think of that transaction, hoping that this will lead to issuers having uh, more higher approval rates, merchants not facing fraud, um, and having lower abandonment rate, right? So this is why sharing our intelligence across the ecosystem uh, is, is key to having a better user experience. Um, this slide right here talks about, okay, how are we using the data we receive to create the risk assessment? EMB 3DS data, the, the slide that I showed you, it captures the transaction data so what is the amount of the transaction you are making? Uh, what time are you making that transaction? What is the date of that transaction? What is currency of that transaction, right? So you get that data set. You also have cardholder data. So a lot of information regarding um, the profile of the cardholder. So you have the account number, of course, you have shipping address, you have billing address, you potentially have um, the email address, the phone number of the cardholder. That's something you're getting in the cardholder data. Then you have the device data. Device data is IP address, right? It's IP address is very, very important for, for the risk models in general. Um, you get the device information, you get the channel data. Was this transaction made on a browser? Or was it made on an app? Was it made on, on an Apple Watch, right? So you are getting that set of information in your device data. There is merchant data. What kind of a merchant is it? Is it a gambling merchant? Is it a pharmacy online? Is it Amazon? You're able, to under, you're able to get the category of the merchant where the transaction is being made, the country of that transaction or the region in general where that transaction is taking place. All of that data that we are getting in real time combined with the MasterCard data that we already have in place on our network, what is that data? That data is the history of the card number. So it's my card or this card. How many times have I reported fraud on that card? Um, in the past, what have my risk scores been like on the network when the past requests came in? How many times does my bank approve or decline my transactions? How many times have I gone back to my bank and said, hey, I want to charge this transaction back because I didn't make it. So we get chargebacks information. Issuers, the issuing banks, they report chargebacks back to MasterCard. We have fraud data that the banks report back to MasterCard. So we have all of that data on our network level that allows us to then supplement it with the EMV 3DS data that we are getting in real time and then use all of it together to then come up with a single risk assessment of whether it's a low, medium or high risk transaction. Long story short, the summary really is that EMV 3DS is the driving force behind authentication. It is probably single-handedly uh, the most effective tool when it comes to increasing approval rates, decreasing the abandonment rate, um, and lowering the fraud. And that, as I said, has been proven based on the previous data we have that it does bring down fraud, it does increase the approval rates. Um, we encourage issuers to minimize challenging the cardholder as much as they can because it's in the interest of the merchant, the issuing bank and MasterCard and cardholder to have as less of a friction as possible. So we encourage them to use risk-based authentication and then we provide them with our smart authentication tools which are based off of risk-based authentication to make that process easier for them um, in real time when they're making that decision to authenticate or to approve that transaction. And at the end of it, why does it matter? Because all of it comes down to a good user experience. 
and authentication that ensures that the cardholder at the end of that transaction is able to complete that transaction in maybe 400 milliseconds and has no idea all the stuff that I told you about in the last 30, 40 minutes. So that's at the essence of what it is. Uh, I do want to acknowledge that we do have, uh, we might have a couple of members from my team here, um, Julia Gossett and Steven Zhao. Uh, Steven is actually uh, an alum from Purdue. So he has been working at MasterCard as a data scientist. He recently made a move to move towards more of a business facing role. Um, I, I believe he is also attending. Um, I would at this point open this up to any questions that anyone has. And Steven, if you're on, we can tackle the questions together, depending on if it's more business oriented or technical oriented. Um, okay. Hi, this is Jerry. Thanks, Gorda. That was awesome. We appreciate you taking time to uh, to work with us. And, and uh, Stephen, welcome back to Purdue. Uh -huh. So we're glad you're able to join us as well. Um, so I do, um, there are a couple of questions we have uh, come in. Um, I think that uh, Stephen may have answered a couple, but we might repeat those if you don't mind, Stephen. But the one that's open at the moment uh, says that customers can set their own alert notifications. In your risk-based authentication, was customer alert setting part of your consideration? Um, good question. Stephen, I don't know if you already answered that. I can answer if you haven't. Yeah, not yet. Go ahead, Warda. Okay, so uh, that's a good question. And again, keeping in mind cardholders direct interaction is with their bank, not with MasterCard, right? So for us, our immediate customer is the bank. So what we do allow banks to do is, or what we are trying to get to that stage where the banks would be able to come in and set rules on, hey, even though if MasterCard says this is a low risk transaction, I as Citibank don't want this particular instance to ever be frictionlessly authenticated they can set rules on, on those kinds of transactions so they can customize it to what they think um, is, is more appropriate for their portfolio. From the cardholder perspective, if they can, if they can definitely talk to their bank and it allow, it depends on which bank you are banking with, uh, if they allow that kind of alerts to be able to set up. Um, banks can also set alerts on the MasterCard network. Uh, as I said, again, saying instead of fully authenticating it in a frictionless manner, always tell me that this has a risk of, let's say, ABC, and then I will go ahead and do that. So again, it depends on, from, for cardholder, they will have that relationship with their bank to set alerts and rules. Banks, in turn, can work with MasterCard uh, on their portfolios to then set rules and alerts. Thank you. Um, I have another question here that's queued up, so we'll, we'll go to that one next. Um, the question is from an internet privacy lens, there are reasons why users would not want merchants and data collection entities online documenting and storing your credit card and personal information. There are services that allow for creation of virtual cards, uh, MasterCard, Visa, et cetera, to mask individuals' identities for merchants and some that even allow alias information such as fake name, address, IP to disassociate your information. From your group's perspective, as well as MasterCard at large, I'm wondering where is the balance between properly authenticating users versus protecting the privacy of the cardholder? Are they initiatives from card issuers to protect users' information in a legitimately sanctioned way, and thus resulting in less identity theft and card numbers falling into the wrong hands? Very so, profound question. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very important question and top of mind for everyone at, at this point, honestly. Uh, it is a very, very legitimate concern, so I do want to acknowledge that. Uh, your, you have talked about virtual card numbers, so yes, we do have you know, virtual card numbers, we have tokenization. So your credentials are really never saved as your credentials on, I'm, taking, I'm making up an example, Netflix, for example. They might have saved your data as a token, so even if there's a breach, only that fake token is exposed and the, your card information behind the scenes is still secure, right? So there's tokenization, there's virtual card numbers that can be used, all of that uh, in an attempt to make sure we protect your identity. For risk systems like the one that I'm talking about, risk-based authentication, even regulators allow that information to be used if the purpose of that information usage is security. 
So security is a very different landscape. You cannot use it for marketing. You cannot use it for consulting. And at MasterCard, we have an entire team that makes sure that the data is super safe and secure. And you might be aware of GDPR rules in Europe. The, Europe is actually, I think, the flag bearer of what the industry standards should be or what even on a government level standards should be for data privacy. So we at MasterCard follow GDPR. We have the privacy rules in place. When it comes to security, and a lot of what we do is security, um, the regulators do allow us to you know, demask that data, uh, if it's tokenized, to de-tokenize that data when making that um, decision in, in the real time, uh, only, only for the purposes of fraud prevention and prevention of identity theft. Other than that, we are not allowed in any way to use that data for marketing um, or any other kind of consulting services. As far as issuers are concerned, um, banks, they all have their own rules. We MasterCard have our program rules for the issuers to participate in. They have to meet those minimum standards to be our licensed customers. And in addition to that, they have their own programs built on top of that to prevent their cardholder security. Okay. There is a the next question in the queue is, uh, is the information sent via 3DS voluntarily shared by the customer or merchant? Is it shared amongst banks and or processors? I know Steven started to answer that question a moment ago, so I don't know if he wants to continue with the answer or if Ward is more appropriate for that one. Go ahead, Steven, I'll chime in. I'm sorry, do you mind repeating the question here? I'm having sure. a lag in the internet connection. Okay, sorry. The question was, is the information sent via 3DS voluntarily shared by the customer merchant? Is it shared amongst banks and or processors? I think the original question was, was the, um, is this information shared? And you had asked for clarification, uh, whether it was uh, amongst banks and or processors and the, and the answer to that was yes. Yeah, I can take a stab. I think Stephen is having uh, some lag. So Stephen, feel free to chime in. I'll, I'll take a stab at it. So the information, again, it's when you make a transaction on a merchant, uh, they have certain rules and rights that you give to that merchant when you're making a transaction at that uh, particular merchant. The merchant then decides based on whatever you know, contract that they have with you, they don't have a particular contract, but they have terms and conditions on their website when you're making a purchase of how much data they can share. I can tell you that a lot of information that I showed you on that slide is actually uh, optional. So it doesn't require the cardholder to share that, that information. We see transactions where the cardholder does not put in their, their phone numbers. They don't put in their email addresses, right? That's completely optional information. So if they put that in, then they're voluntarily giving that information. We don't say, if you don't, if you don't provide us your email address, we're not gonna proceed with this transaction, right? Um, so that, and then through 3DS message, that information is shared with the bank as well. Now, keeping in mind, if you're a cardholder, you have terms and conditions with your bank as well. So they must have clarified with you how they can use your data in what fashion or manner, um, and you are allowing them to use that um, data through 3DS. An example I would like to give here is in Europe, which I said is the ideal region to look at when it comes to security, um, they require all transactions or majority of the transactions to be strong to what they call strong consumer authentication. They want the challenge. They want the cardholders to confirm that it's them who's making that transaction. And how can that be done? Only if issuer has that data. They know which email address to reach you out on, which phone number to reach you out on. So they have that data already in existence with you. So they are only allowed to use that again from the security perspective, not for any marketing purposes, not for any consulting purposes. Good lead in on the next question. You mentioned uh, Europe being a good place to test. Uh, the next question is, have you considered allowing users to use smart card readers, which would allow them to directly plug into the CC and use the certificate on it to sign the transaction? And by way of background, uh, in countries like Finland, people can even vote online with certificates on their ID. So everyone has a card reader on their computer. I have heard about that one. I would be honest. I don't know much about that one, but I've definitely heard about it. Um, so EMB3DS, as I said, authentication, that's one way to level up your security to improve approvals. There are more ways. 
the, the question really is, which is the most scalable way? Can every single cardholder have that card reader in place, right, across the world? So yes, virtual card numbers, they're essentially doing the same thing. They're, they're trying to secure your uh, credentials. We have tokenization that does the same thing. You have, you know, those card readers, the card, is it card readers? Um, the digital card readers that you're mentioning. They all are trying to get towards the same end goal, uh, but we believe that authentication is probably the most scalable way that it can be done in the interoperability domain without requiring the cardholder to really do anything with it. If the, if the cardholder wants to do that, that's great. No one would stop that. But if the cardholder cannot or does not do it, then how do we protect it? Okay. Uh, another question I have in the queue is from a consumer standpoint, would a virtual card be better to ensure privacy by both merchant and bank processors? It's a tough one because I, I can't say what's better, what's not. As I said, they're all going towards the same end goal. There are different means towards going to the same end goal. Um, virtual card numbers, cert certainly, I think it is an additional layer of security. As I always say, there's no silver bullet to getting low fraud and high approvals. Um, if that can be layered on, on top of existing things, absolutely, by all means, that's a good way to do it. But it's hard to say which one is the best way because you have to use all of those in combination together to get the perfect end result. Thank you. All right, is there anything else, Mike? That you see? So, so maybe I can ask something uh, if we have time. Sure. Yeah, so no, very, it was very interesting to, to see how all the different actors interact and the usability. So I think something that I think you also mentioned is that uh, I guess my, my point is uh, usability is of course an important point of this. But one, one thing I, I think we are, the, the current system is really lacking in terms of usability is how to handle when the, the authentication, whatever authentication it is fails. So you, for instance, you mentioned that in Europe, banks require strong authentication. And this happened to me multiple times that when I want to pay in Europe with US cards, I cannot. But it's not, and I cannot, and it's not just that I cannot, but as a user, I have no way to understand why I failed every website gives me a different failing message. I don't know if it's because my bank doesn't want, because MasterCard doesn't want, because the website doesn't like that. So from a user perspective, I think, from a usability perspective, I think it's, of course, it's important to lower the amount of failing transactions, but it's also important to somehow explain to user what to do and i think this is really messy every website is going to tell you a different message and it happened to me that sometimes i have to contact the website the website told me we don't even see your transaction no and then the bank told me no it's the website that block your transaction so so i guess this is not really a question but i think that usability needs to be able to also try to explain to users what the problems are because otherwise sometimes because this is also dangerous because otherwise user will try weird solutions to to go around this they they will trust the phone calls now because i because sometimes you need to actually call someone to to fix this so if i get used to call someone then i will maybe be more prone to fail for some phone scam that is asking my credit card because it's not that far from what I really need to do. So yeah, I, I think I you it's more a general observation, it. but yeah. No, but I think that's that's a very good observation and that's something we we have to tackle every single day because we talk about data privacy and yes, Europe is you know the the standard that has been set to look at when we talk about data privacy, but it comes at a cost. And that cost is the user experience. So we who are sitting in the middle of the transaction taking place, the interaction, we have to balance both the security and the user experience. And I agree, we, when regulations require data privacy, we love that, it's great. But when it infringes upon you know, the user experience is when we also think, 
should not be the case. So I'll give you an example. MasterCard works very hard with the regulators to ensure, again, within, within those regulations to minimize the friction as much as possible. So uh, example of Europe, for example, we say if the transaction is less than 30 euros, you don't always have to challenge the cardholder because the risk is low and you are potentially really messing up the user experience, right? So we try to negotiate with the regulators a lot to make sure we, we provide that level of, you know, user comfort or good user experience so they don't have to go through these things. The other point you have mentioned is that each website has a different message displayed when, when it fails. And that's when I, when I said, you know, card not present is a complicated, messy space. Uh, digital transactions, everyone is doing everything differently. You cannot put something on every single laptop, every single device, every single merchant and have them adhere to that. What EMV3DS does is it has set some standards, some baseline standards that if all merchants adhere to, that would give a consistent user experience. When you go into the store, um, Antonio, in Europe or in the US, you have the same experience, right? You don't have to worry about, oh, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? But when you're doing it online, you have no idea what might what next screen might bring for you, right? So we want to make that experience standard across all merchants. And authentication is one way to get there, but we're not there yet, unfortunately. So, and I really think that a consistent user experience, it's very helpful also for security. Because I can teach my grandmother how to deal with a consistent user experience. So I show her the user experience once and is a procedure is always the same, no? But 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 it's much harder to to deal to teach and to learn different uh, user experience. And I think one reason why Amazon is successful, it's yes, maybe it's why it's because I don't have to insert my card every time. That might be part of the reason, but part of the reason is also that it's consistent in the user experience. So it's very easy what I need to do. I know I know what is correct, what is wrong, and and I can and for instance, I I I can teach easily to my I don't know my father to use Amazon, whereas it's very hard to to teach him how to use every single different website. Exactly, I think that's that's a very good example, and consistency is what we are striving towards as well. And hopefully, we'll get there sooner rather than later. I think that's the end of our queued up questions. Okay. So. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Th thanks to the speaker. And we had uh, a, a lot of participants. So thanks to all the participants. Thanks to the speaker. And see you next week. Thank you, Ward. I appreciate it.